to it in your Bibles if you have it. But on the screen behind me in a moment, you'll see uh, three pictures. Uh, uh, apologies for the middle one, it's quite confronting. Uh, but what would you do to bring this plant to life? Now, I would love to be able to say that I could bring one physically so that you could see, but my wife and I, we have a habit of killing plants in our house. We have no problem. We've even killed cacti. Um, what would you do to this plant? It's dead, it's dried out. Sometimes no amount of water, no amount of those sachets that you get from the plant shop sprinkled in can do it. Dead, dry, lifeless, the soil cracks, good for nothing, just throwing out. What would you do with this side of meat to bring it back to life? Some of you would say, I'd rather not. Uh, no apology from me for those who are vegan among us. Because it is quite a confronting image, isn't it, really? Imagine that. Slab of meat on your bed. Oh, a corpse, really? Pretty horrible, isn't it? Would you want to bring that to life? Could you bring that to life? No, I don't think so. You see, there are just some things that are too far gone, too far dead, aren't they? Well, in our passage... In Joel, we've been learning that the whole of Israel was dried up. Rivers dried up. Fields dried up. Joy dried up. And you know, if I'm honest, confession time, I feel a bit dried up sometimes. Don't you? Spiritually dried up for God. Not much left to pour out. I know that sometimes I feel a bit spiritually lifeless. Not going the way God's Spirit wants me to go. And not only that, but sometimes I despair at the world, don't you? Is there any hope? As I think of my friends, family, who are not Christian believers, so dried up, so will light the fields and the land after no rain. Dried up, hardened. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? For someone like me, at times half-hearted, dried up, is there any hope for a world hardened, dried up? Well, we're going to see from this passage in Joel 2, God's word given so long ago, real hope for today, hope for us, and hope for our world. Let's pray as we get into it. Father God, we thank you so much that your word goes out like rain, waters the earth, and does not return to you empty, but always achieves its work. And so we pray that the work you achieve in us this morning might be to bring life and joy and encouragement and gladness like you promised to those people of Israel so long ago. We pray that we might see Jesus and have hope, the hope that does not put us to shame. And we ask it for his name's sake. Amen. Well, if you've been journeying with us in Joel, over the last few weeks, we know, you'd know that the people of Israel were facing such a hard time, weren't they? A dry land, a hard land. And God here gives a promise. A promise in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. But who's it for? And when is it for? For our passage begins with a time marker. Do you notice? The passage begins afterwards. Well, let's just get our bearings. When 
When is Joel talking about? When will this promise happen? Joel says afterwards. Well, what great event does this come after? Joel is talking about the great day of the Lord. For it was coming near, chapter 1, verse 15. It comes, chapter 1, verse 15 again. It's arrived, chapter 2, verse 11. For Joel, this day of the Lord, this great event, is a real and present event. Something that was happening and has happened. And yet, for Joel also, the day of the Lord was a day to come. Did you notice that in our reading? Chapter 2 and verse 31. It's a, it's a future event. A day that's come and coming. Peter, the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 describes this passage and interprets it as the last days. The Spirit will come when? In the last days. This then is the last day, the day of the Lord. This time has come and is coming. Peter says it's a time that is coming because Jesus has died and has risen and is coming again. We're living in injury time. The last of the last days, a time of salvation and judgment. When is it? It's here. And yet Joel doesn't speak of multiple days, one past and a day to come. No, he speaks of one single day, a day of the Lord, a day of judgment and salvation. What does Joel mean then when he says this promise is coming? When is it coming? Well, the time Joel speaks about is a single day. But to help us, it's a bit like we would say today is Sunday. Have you already had some Sunday? Yes. Is there some Sunday to come? Well, yes, of course. And when are we living? Now, Sunday. It's a day, but it's got expansive horizons, past and future. When are we living? According to Joel, we're living in now. The day of the Lord, a day of judgment, a day of salvation. And this is the time that this passage is speaking of. If you like, there is a past element, there's a future element, but we're very much in it. Israel is very much in it, experiencing now the day of the Lord. So chronologically, we're in the last days, awaiting Jesus' final return, the day of the Lord. But theologically, according to God's timetable, when are we living? The day. The day is today, a day of judgment. A day of salvation, a day of promise. And that's where Joel wants to land his hearers and us today. When is today? It's a day of promise. Let's get into that promise. For Joel, you see, speaks to a people whose land has dried up. Their fields have dried up. Their crops have dried up. Their animals have died of thirst. Their rivers have dried up. And most importantly, their joy and gladness has dried up. And the tears of weeping that should accompany their sin have dried up. This is a people who are spiritually dry as well. And that's why judgment is coming. And yet, to these people, to this wilderness that is so dry and barren, in the midst of their sin, this day, sounds like our world, doesn't it? This people, these people, God says... I will pour out my spirit to these people living in a fallen world. 
where nothing good lasts, where lots of rubbish remains, God says to them, I will pour out, pour out my spirit in all their sin and suffering. And here's a question as we look down. What does, who does God pour his spirit out on? Verse 28, meat, dead meat. Although in your Bible, as mine, it reads, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. But we might wonder, well, why didn't Joel just use that word people? If we think it means people, and I think it does, but there is a Hebrew word for people. Why doesn't God say, oh, pour out my spirit on all people? He could say that. But why does he choose this word flesh? It is because the people of Israel, well, they were living, but they were dead. They were made of flesh, but they were lifeless, spiritually lifeless. And that's the point. God says, Joel says, he's going to pour out his spirit on a lifeless people, living but not really living, alive but not really alive. It's exactly what they need, isn't it? Pour out God's spirit, God's spirit in them. It's to highlight the spiritual weakness of the people. And yet this is exactly why God must send his spirit to give life to the dead. Romans 5 says this, we had it in our reading. Thank you, Shane, for reading. Romans 5 says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Why? For we were weak, ungodly, sinners. So we heard before in Joel that God will bless those who turn to him. But they weren't turning to him, were they? And that's a problem. That's a problem. How can, how can meat, dead meat, turn and so repent and so be healed and forgiven? That's a real problem. As we look out on the world, how, how can the world turn? It's so hardened. How can I grow? I'm, I'm so mixed. I experience bitterness and, and half-heartedness so much of the time. Is there any hope for our world? Is there any hope for me, for us? God says, I will pour out. My spirit, my life-giving spirit, will be poured out in these last days, which we should take as today. Joel says, yes, they need to repent. And God is going to help them do that. Praise God. Praise God. You see, God knows how to give life to a lifeless people. And so God will pour out his spirit. And question, what kind of people will God pour his spirit onto which the answer, as Joel goes through, is all people. Sons, daughters, young, old, servants. The point is all. And Joel's point is that there is no one from among God's people. I'll say this again, because so often we don't, we don't believe it. There is no one from among God's people who will not have the blessing of his spirit. No one is a second-class Christian. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus has this gift, has this life. The whole nation of Israel, this promise, blessed, made new. We're encountering here the doctrine of regeneration. It means the Spirit's work to give life, regenerate, give new life from within. And the Spirit, as we know, was there at the beginning, giving life, creation, out of nothingness. And here he is, giving spiritual life, to spiritual nothingness 
I wonder if on your own, do you sometimes feel like a spiritual nothing? I do, but honest, we all do from time to time. God gives life to spiritual nothings. Isn't that wonderful? As we look out on a world that needs him, God gives life to where there is none. This is exactly the promise that God is speaking to in these last days. Let's call it today. A promise for today. God, to people living in these last dark days, will give his spirit. And when he does, he said it will be like rains. Just before, chapter 223, he said he'd pour out abundant rain. And it's the same verb, to pour out. And just like he would give life to this barren country, so he'll give life to the barren people, abundance. Not so much a rewind to what they had before, though, but a fast forward to what he always promised. You see, the promise of God to, the, to Abraham's people, to the people of Israel, was that God would come and be with them. Not remotely, not from a distance. God would come and be with them, a day of feasting, not fasting, a day of rejoicing, no more repenting. A day of, well, we had it yesterday, that the marriage picture, wasn't it fun? There was food everywhere. It was even on my jacket by the end of the day. It was amazing, a joy, what abundance. And this is what God is promising. You see, when he's promising abundant grain and wine, it's not just for Israel. It's so that when God comes, he can share it with Israel. And God, when he gives his spirit to his people, it's not so that they can stand off remotely. No, God wants to reconcile. That's what we had in our Romans reading, wasn't it? We who are far off ungodly, he wants to come and reconcile us. And by his spirit, he has no longer just friends that he calls up from time to time. But united, more than housemates, married together forever. That picture of abundance, a wedding, a banquet the new creation. See, there is here a more fulfilling promise than sin, isn't there? I want us to think of that sin, that temptation that we, we long to go to. Perhaps we go to again and again and again. We think it fulfills. We know it doesn't. It's like ash in our mouth. Oh, we see here there's such a better promise, isn't there? That, that anxiety that gnaws awareness inside the thing that you haven't got but you think you need well isn't here a better hope that is enduring lasting guaranteed by God isn't there here a hope for the hopeless well let's read on for I think by now we all want this hope don't we we all want this hope Let's read on. For what is the effect of the Spirit's coming? Verse 28 and 29. Joel says, Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Prophecy, dreams, visions. These are all different words to describe the same thing. And they're different ways of saying prophecy, really. And that begs another question, doesn't it? Well, what is prophecy? Well, in the Bible... Prophecy isn't so much about prediction. It's not about predicting the, the, the future. You know, um, Mystic Meg, predicting the lotto numbers. I prophesy there will be... That's not really how the Bible uses that word. 
In the Bible, prophecy means speaking God's word or speaking godly words. Words from God, words that are good from God. That's what it normally means. But I think here, Joel, Joel wants to alert us to a particular meaning of the word prophecy. Because you see, the Spirit's work is to call people to speak, verse 28, which leads to people calling on the Lord with their speech, verse 32. You see the connection? I think here the Spirit's work, particularly here, is to come and give weak, sinful people loosened tongues so that they can call on the Lord in a way that they weren't doing and weren't able to do previously, and so cry out to him and be saved. And we get the same idea in Zephaniah chapter 3. Why don't we turn there? Zephaniah. It's about 30 pages ahead in your Bibles. It's page 742. Zephaniah chapter 3. And those on the weekend away will know this off by heart because Seth taught us so well. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 8 is speaking about the day of the Lord again. A day when he will rise up in judgment and do you notice pour out on that day another pouring out here of all his burning anger the fire of his jealousy that word pouring out it's the same word that we find in Joel 2 you see that's what we deserve isn't it our sin our jealousy our spitefulness our pride because of our sin it's what Jesus died for it's what he took when God's anger was poured out on him at the cross that day of the Lord that Zephaniah speaks of, pouring out of God's judgment. But look what's going to happen after this. God, Jesus, having absorbed it into himself, what will God do? Verse 9, at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech so that all of them may call on the name of the Lord. Do you see that? God's promise, a changed Speech leading to a changed life. The ungodly will become godly and call on him. Well, back to Joel 2 then, as we see that God will change the speech of the people. God will pour out not his anger, but his spirit and prophecy. A godly speech will be the mark of it. And with it, they can call on the name of the Lord and so be saved. Well, now, so what? So what? What does this mean for us? Well, let me ask you a question. Are you calling on the name of the Lord? Let me put it another way. Are you, in the midst of your sin, when you sin, in the midst of living in a fallen, broken world, are you calling out on, crying out to God for rescue? And like Jen taught us, by the New Testament, we get to know his name, this name of the Lord. His name is Jesus. Are you calling on Jesus to save? Well, if you are, it's the sign of God's spirit in you. We are living in these last days. The promise fulfilled, God has then poured out his spirit so that all of us, anyone, you, may cry out to God, call on him and be safe. It's godly speech. It's a work of God. See, so many times people wonder, don't they? Perhaps you're one of them. Uh, am I a real Christian? And you, and you call out to God and you say, God, please help me. 
Yes. The answer is yes. If you're doing that, you're crying out to God. You feel, oh God, I feel so unworthy. I don't know if I can do it. I've sinned again. The world is so hard. I'm, I'm so nervous. You're calling out to God. That's the work of the Spirit in you. It's his job. It's to call out to God so that you might find refuge under him and so be saved. Some of us frequently feel like we're imposters. We walk in through the church and we look around and it seems like everyone else is so sorted. And you think, inside I'm, I'm critical, I'm jealous, I'm bitter. Well, what is the work of the Lord to cause us to turn to him? Because this is the work of God, to give his spirit to a people dry, barren, like Romans tells us, a weak, ungodly, and that's when Christ died for us. He didn't wait till we got it all together. No, he loved us. He poured out his love through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Second, we're calling out. We do have the Spirit. We should have assurance. If you're calling on the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Verse 32, all, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Which is why this is such a cast iron guarantee, a promise from God. For the same spirit that gives regeneration, birth, gives resurrection, new life. But look, verse 32, when you call on God, it's because God called on you first. Verse 32, Joel says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape. See, Mount Zion is a real place. It's in Jerusalem. Joel says there is a place of safety. Mount Zion was the place where the king sat. And Joel is saying, if you're going to Mount Zion, you're going to the place of the king. Because under the king of Israel is safety and security. Why? Because he's God's king. He's God's Messiah, the one who God installed to protect the people. We know that it was Jesus who in Jerusalem bore the sins so that everyone sheltering under him would be saved. He is that rock of ages in whom we shelter. We sang of it earlier. All who go to him, Joel says, all who go to Mount Zion, the place where the king is, Jesus, his cross, shall be saved. It's the place of refuge. And as those who call on him in the place where Jesus is, those who call on him are those God calls. Let's read on. Verse 32, as the Lord has said, among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. It's a lot of calling, isn't there? Who calls who? Do we call on God? Or does God call us? Which is it? Well, it's both. What is this saying? It's saying that God calls us to call him. It is that God chooses us to choose him. So if you are calling on Jesus, if you're choosing for Jesus, it's because God chose you. You want to be chosen by God? Well, call on Jesus. You say, well, how can I call on Jesus unless God calls me to? Well, if you're calling, it's because he has. And therein we have the assurance, this promise. You see, God knows that we're weak. If we're on our own, do you think we'd ever do it? I should see a lot of shaking heads right now. No. But God 
in his infinite love and wisdom before, before anything had happened, before he'd done anything good or bad, because he loves you, you see, free love. He chose you. And you could remember the day you become a Christian or the period of time you became a Christian, or if you've been a Christian since as young as you can remember, it's because God chose you so that one day you would choose him. Because that's the work of the Spirit, giving life so that with our life we might choose him and serve him. What a wonderful God he is. And if you want to know this hope, call. Because those who call have this hope. And practically, what does that mean? It means pray. If you want this hope, pray. Call out to God today, tomorrow, before bedtime, over dinner time, in your hour of need, when you need that, that rock of refuge, cleft for us, he is there. Well, for those living in the last days, as Joel's people were, these images of war, Drought, disaster, flood, blood, fire, smoke. We have a future secure. So that's our first point. God sends his spirit to give his people life. Our second point, you'll be glad that it's shorter, is that God's spirit brings a new people to life. You see, Joel's message was to Israel. It was a message for Israel's elders and Israel's children. Do you remember back in chapter 1, verse 3? We hear, hear this, you elders, and tell your children of it and their children. It was a message and a promise for Israel. It speaks of a people, Israel. The people of Israel brought to life, new life in the land, a blessing. A people, a land, a blessing. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? God's promises fulfilled to them. But there's more. For Peter says... In Acts chapter 2, that the promise gets bigger and grows. The land is not just the land, but a new creation. The blessing is not just return, but renewal and resurrection. And the people, well, it's not just Israel, but it's for the whole world. Come with me to Acts chapter 2. It's page 856 in your Bibles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts the message of God's word going out, and it starts in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, as Peter and Jesus' disciples were gathered together in a room, chapter 2, verse 1, in Jerusalem. And they were experiencing a one-time unique expression of God's spirit as he came rushing through the room, uh, tongues of fire descending on them. That must have been weird, as they saw that. They would be thinking, what's going on? This has never happened before. And that's the point. It's a new time. But how do they know it was the Spirit? Well, God's Spirit always manifested himself in wind and fire. That's how they knew that it was God among them in this unique experience. And look, what's the result? A changed speech. As Peter stands up, he speaks. But this is not, do you notice the difference? This is not so that he can, for himself, call on the Lord. But this is so that he can speak and call people to the Lord. Because God is gathering a new people and giving them life too. Not that God had forgotten Israel and the Jews, but that his promise is getting bigger, and it's going out in many languages to many nations. And do you know what? As I speak, 
right now in real time. This sermon is being translated into Chinese, Mandarin, and Portuguese. Isn't that phenomenal? Isn't that, I, I don't know how that works. I don't have that gift of languages, but someone behind that screen does. And God's Spirit is taking the words that were written in Hebrew and translated by someone who knows it far better than I into English to be translated into Mandarin and Portuguese that the world might be reached. Isn't that a sign of God's Spirit at work today? I think that it is. Praise God. For today is a day of judgment and salvation. We are now in the last of the last days. The clock has gone red and God is pouring out his spirit. And who's it for? This is important. Look at verse 39. Joel, uh, sorry, Acts 2, 39. The promise is for you, the elders, their children, and, and here's where the promise is greater than Joel's, and all who are far off. The promise in Joel was for Israel and her children. Now is for Israel and her children and the world. For Jesus, we see, is the Lord. Verse 36. He died for all people. He was raised for all people. He rules over all people. And that's why all people in all places can call on the one Lord and so be saved. Again, you could think that you're the worst Sinner here. We've heard some terrible things in our city in this last week, haven't we? Terrible. So terrible. The Peter, sorry, the people that Peter was speaking to were murderers. He says, You killed Jesus. Remarkably, remarkably, he says, they, even they, can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. You see, there's no limit to God's grace. And that is phenomenally encouraging to people who need it so badly. For the Spirit comes to them, this people. And how do we know that the Spirit even came to this people? Let's have a look at the marks. Verse 37, they've heard the message of Jesus and they were cut to the heart the gospel pierced them within, convicting them of sin, convicting them of the judgment to come. They were cut to the heart. And isn't that exactly what Joel said needed to happen? As he said, rend your hearts, not your garments. Well, the Spirit has come and done that for them. Torn their hearts wide open, exposed really to their consciences the full horror of their sin. Caused them to cry out to God for rescue. And what further signs are there that the Spirit is at work in them? Well, they call out. They cry, what can we do? And Peter says, repent, save yourselves from this generation. And they receive his words and were saved. It's the mark of a spirit-filled Christian, isn't it? Calling on God for mercy. But just as God's Spirit was making a people have new life, so God is now at working, at work, giving a new people life. For as they gather... They form a growing spirit-filled church. Well, let's see what a spirit-filled church looks like. Verse 42, this spirit-filled church is devoting themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching. So they're there, they've got their Bibles open. And it's so encouraging to see, as I look out, a spirit-filled church. The Bible is open. The Bible is open. People are watching, uh, uh, scrolling through, reading the Bible, the apostles' words on their phones. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. We have the Bible taught every week. 
It's the mark of a spirit-filled church. What else are they doing? They're eating together, sharing fellowship. Church lunch together. It's a mark of a spirit, a family a fellowship. Verse 47, they're praising God and we've sung. And look also, the Lord is adding to their number those who are being saved and new people coming to life. For those who have a new speech to call on the Lord, use their new speech to call to the Lord. It's the mark of a spirit-filled Christian. And I'm so encouraged. I was speaking to Randall earlier this week. Randall leads our, leads our life course. Uh, it began last Monday. And I said, Randall, how's it going? And he said, I bought 11 packs. And every single one of those was used. Wasn't that wonderful? 11 packs. And then he said, that was a problem. Because 22 people came. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? People being called to the Lord as you, God's people, with your spirit-filled speech, are calling people to him. It's the mark of a spirit-filled Christian. Now, so often people want an experience of the spirit, don't we? We'll go to great lengths. Do you want the experience of the spirit? It's easy to, re- to have. Tell someone about Jesus. There it is, the experience of the spirit. And you just watch as God empowers you and encourages you and gives you boldness to do that. You just watch and you just wait and you see because people in this church had that and they did that. For look what is going on. The church grew. The Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now they didn't come in by themselves, did they? They had no Facebook community invitation. No, how did the church grow? People went and say, hey, look, come and find out about the place to get real life. Come and find out to have the assurance that when you, with your fleeting breath, your last breath, call out to God, you can have assurance of being with him and forgiven of all your sin. And people, no doubt, in that early church said, really, really, can I have that assurance? I thought, and members of the church said, yes, come along and hear what the Bible has to say. You'll be amazed. And so they come along. And there are people in this room who, just in this last week, last year, but maybe even in this last week, have heard the apostles teaching the message of the Lord Jesus, have called out, cried out to him, and so be saved. You see, that's how the church grows. The mark of a spirit-filled church, the mark of a spirit-filled Christian, calling on the Lord, calling to the Lord, that we all may be saved. And as we look around, there are people, aren't there, from every nation, every continent, a sign that we are living in these last days, we're in injury time. My son in the back of the car on the way to church was singing, it's the final countdown. Well, yes, it is. It is the final countdown. What are you going to do with the time? Injury time, the last days, a terrible day, a terrible day for those who are not ready. A day of cloud, darkness, smoke, and blood. But all who go to Zion... You go to the king, you go to Jesus, to the place where he is, to the place where he was crowned, the cross, will find a place of refuge. Are you going to the king? Are you calling on his name, Jesus, and so being saved? And are you calling to the king, to Jesus, that others may be saved? And here's the promise, because of the spirit, we can, we can call on him. We can call to him. And so let's finish by praying that we'd be a people who do that. So let's pray.
rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. And that's our prayer this morning, Father God, that we would be found hidden in Jesus, finding refuge in him because he died for us and was raised. And we trust your promise that your spirit has come to us to give us life, to call on him. And so we praise you for the hope of regeneration and resurrection and renewal, not just in in a land, but in that new creation, not just with the hope of you, but with you. We pray for this hope for a lost world and for our lost families and friends. By your mercy and grace, empower us with your spirit that we might not just call on you for ourselves, but call others to you for their salvation and for your glory, we pray. Amen.